Welcome back to Alpi Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week, we will do a light dive into this week's Parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye, our eye, and then we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. And this week's Torah portion is Bamid Bar. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg. Hey, Paul. Hey, Aaron. Like how are you doing? I like a little addition to the intro where you included the Parsha. It's true. I I have been reading about ways to run a successful podcast, and one of them is to give as much information about what's happening. So we do have a good full intro, but if yeah. someone were just poking through, they it's important to say the Parsha we're on, even though they could see it in the title, but um, just a little just trick I read. Some <laughs> podcast autoplay, and they don't know what's coming up. Yeah, exactly. But uh, how are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, what can I tell us about today? I uh, officiated a wedding for my brother's brother-in-law yesterday. Oh, I saw on your Instagram. How'd it go? And it was really fun. It was really sweet because it feels like family. So getting to be in a rabbinic role and help people towards the moment of getting getting married feels very sweet. It was also a, it was a Jewish wedding that I ran, but uh, the people getting married were Jewish and Sikh, so it was uh, also interesting coming together of families and cultures. Did you get to learn some new things about Sikh traditions? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Speaking to some of the family, there's also going to be a Sikh wedding, but it's going to be in Virginia. So it would have been I've never been to a Sikh wedding before, but so I guess the the, the way that they that with it instead of doing one ceremony that combined traditions, they are doing two separate ceremonies, each of their own tradition. Yeah, that's kind of nice too. I've I haven't heard of that yet because that's twice the money, I guess. But uh, it's a power that's to them. Uh, yeah, what's going on with you? Well, I did have two incidents happen this week, and I don't know if they're connected or not. But maybe I'll mm-hmm. regale you because yeah, um, they're related to. Jewish life and Judaism. Um, so I, I work from home often, like uh, four days a week. And someone knocked on my door, um, and which is not uncommon in my neighborhood. It was a real estate agent. And they're like, hey, you know, we're just introducing ourselves. They gave me a notepad. And they said, I like your mezuzah. I have a mezuzah. And the person two doors down has a mezuzah. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is often called bageling, where you are pointing out to someone. I know this is very Ashkenormative. You're pointing out to someone that you are Jewish by using something very specific. Um, noticing the mezuzah wasn't it. Like she's saying, I have a mezuzah. I'm like, oh, that's great. And, you know, I, I was kind of caught off guard because I was working. So I was like, oh, well, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Mm. There you go. And then did you say it? When people say that to me, because I walk around with the keeper, so people often like to show either that they're Jewish or that they know things about Judaism. So they like walk up to me and say, Shalom, or something like that. And I don't love it, honestly. I kind of feel like, all right, see you later. How did you, uh, did you respond more graciously then? Well, it's, it's funny your Shalom thing, because when I was in Wasag on the weekend, I did see some people who presented as 
uh, Orthodox walking down the street, and Wasega is not a very Jewish cottage town. Some mm-hmm. some Jewish population, but it's more a little bit, I think, on the east side of Georgian Bay. That's more Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I thought about <laughs> saying like "Good Shabbos, Chavarai." I thought about saying that, and I was like, "No, like they're enjoying themselves." No, I think I think that's different, though. I, I think saying "Good Shabbos" to somebody on Shabbat is a nice. Like if somebody did that to me, I would think that's nice. Well, that's good. So maybe next time if I see them around. (laughs) Yeah, but I I, sometimes people say Shabbat Shalom to me on days that's not Shabbat, so that I'm that I'm uh, I think less less impressed by. So Shabbat Shalom on Shabbos, good. Shalom shalom on the weekdays, bad. (laughs) So if you see Aaron. Any of you? And you say shalom on a weekday? Bad. Good say, Shabbos. Hey, you're Aaron from the LP Barsha podcast. <laughs> that will get my attention. I think maybe it's because shalom feels like too low level. I feel like it doesn't actually say that you can connect with anything about me except from knowing this one Hebrew word that's connected to the thing I'm wearing in my head. I feel like saying Shabbat shalom means like, oh, you recognize that it is the Sabbath and that we are both acknowledging it. That's like a shared that feels like a more, I don't know why that, I don't know where, uh, this is the first time I'm reflecting on these feelings. But. This is where we reflect on back to our Jewish lives. Um, so to wrap this story to full circle, again, we don't know if these stories are connected or not. Um, still under investigation. So part one, we know realtor says, mezuzah, I'm mezuzah. Great. Not three days later, or four days later, three days later, I see a handwritten note in my mailbox. And it seems to be some sort of Christian Bible passage. Mm -hmm. And on the back of it is a website meant to encourage Jews to convert from Judaism to Christianity. So either could be three things. Either A, this realtor, she has a side gig, and this, she made this connection, saw the mezuzah, actually is kind of a, a a Christian, but like might be with a Jewish practice and was trying to convert me. That's that's a connection I made. Also possible, this missionary group maybe was driving around looking for mezuzahs. The least likely thing is I think that if they put it in everyone's mailbox. I don't think they did. Like, uh, this would be... I didn't ask all my neighbors, but I thought it was like, I wonder if that realtor is the one who wrote me this proselytizing handwritten message. Um, Cause yeah, it was just kind of, it, it was kind of a funny coincidence for these two things to happen the same week. So hopefully not connected. Um, Cause obviously, I mean, I know people proselytize it's happened for thousands of years, but I prefer people not proselytize me to leave my belief, which perhaps you feel the same. Inappropriate. Yeah. yeah. I don't think people should be allowed to be doing that. Like, I know. Right now you can police it, but like, it seems not, not in the spirit of pluralism and respecting it's, multiple ways of being. It's wild. And speaking of wild. Let's talk about the wilderness. That has a good connection, Paul. Bamidbar. What is this? So this is the first book of the book of Numbers. What you gave us such a great overview of the Leviticus. Is there any kind of overarching theme to Numbers or we should know about? 
numbers compared to Leviticus, it's boring. <laughs> people think of Leviticus as boring because it's filled with like laws and rules that the Levites may have been more interested in. But as you know, I'm pretty into the book of Leviticus. Numbers has a lot more narrative and stories. Of, I generally think of it as like the wanderings of the Jews in the desert. The word Bamidbar that we were alluding to means in the wilderness or in the desert. Um, so yeah, there's like different uh, exploits and things that people are often, there's like, there's going to be this trope of the people complaining about something happening. And then there's something that incident that happens and then God gets upset. And there's like more dramatic tension uh, in much of it. Also the first like 10 chapters or so, as we're going to get into the first few weeks of uh, this book, are probably written by a priestly writer in a similar vein to Leviticus. So it's a little bit like listy, giving you lots of details that you're like, why are you telling me all these things? Uh, so we still get some uh, <laughs> some of that sort of thing to ease us into the more narrative passages. Step aside, uh, BuzzFeed. Just... These are the original listicles. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. <laughs> How many people were in the tribe of Ephraim? You won't believe. <laughs> 40,500. I have it open on my computer. I don't just have it memorized. <laughs> um, but also narratively, it takes the book takes us from Mount Sinai, which is, I guess, ostensibly where we've been at for the book of Leviticus after receiving the Torah and building the Mishkan, the tabernacle. We still start there at the beginning of the book of Bamidbar. And then we get all the way till uh, the end, like Moses appointing Joshua, like at the end of their wanderings um, in the desert for 40 so, years. So it kind of covers all of it. So this is almost chronological. This is taking place after Leviticus, sort of? Yeah, Leviticus kind of like hangs out, right? There's those small moments of narrative, but it like kind of is just hanging out on its own and it kind of feels like the narrative resumes it's almost kind of like leviticus felt like if you've ever read 1800s literature there's all this like story within a story they're like i was in the library and i opened up a book yeah. but then they'll legitimately tell you the book they read it's like yeah. they'll tell you the story um what would i think this happened in a Roald Dahl book i mean not not a great person for the Jews, but uh, I think Danny Chang of the world, there was like a story and a story and a story. Like in the story, they read a story. So there was, it was Inception. Um, but yeah, I'm getting distracted. Is like no, I love that. Though. As a Leviticus fan, I think that's really cool to kind of imagine. That's what happens. In Exodus, at the end of Exodus, they build the uh, tabernacle. And they're like, oh, while we're talking about building the tabernacle, here are some things that you might do in the tabernacle and laws of holiness and things that priests should know. And then we're like, okay, now back to our story. It's like when you have a sibling and you both have the same piano teacher and then there's all this buildup to get to the piano and now you're waiting for 30 minutes for your sibling. So your parent tells you some story because everything's on pause. And then the action resumes with your piano lesson. That's what I think of. <laughs> That is a specific experience that I didn't have, but I like like imagining sitting you you sitting there and getting entertained by your parents. 
Yeah, this was before cell phones too. I don't know why I feel the need to say that, but it's just like uh, all we had was stories back then. <laughs> so I think I'm on the one minute summary, which uh, as always, I've gotten the habit of letting people know inspired by Chabad.org, uh, deeply inspired. So I will try to <laughs> go through a one minute summary. And as you might've picked up, I tend to be structured and prepared and Aaron tends to help us wander, but I will need Aaron's help to pick a passage today because I didn't prepare one in advance. So you can think about it while I give our one minute summary that I'll, I'll tie myself to. to... This is a good book for wandering, I think. That's true. This is a. Uh... Israelites are wandering. Our conversations are wandering. It's perfect. Meandering, even, you know? It's this. Yeah. Just okay. going with the flow. Going with the flow. It's just like water, Torah, the water of life. Um, I think that's the saying. Yeah. Chaim. So, okay, I am going. So, in Bamidbar, there's a census of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they count them. Uh, and they're talking about the Levites who have to serve in the sanctuary. Uh, and when people break up the camp, they're the three Levite clans. Uh, they have their tents. Uh, there's a lot of information about different families and different things they're doing. Um, and then uh, there are 12 camps, uh, and these include, I am going to name them, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Reuven, Shimeon, Gad, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Don, Asher, Naphtali, uh, and they each had their own prince or nasi. And that's it for me. Um, I do have a question for you, Aaron, while I have you here every week. Uh -huh. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> what can I try to pretend to know something about? So what's always bothered me about this is the 12 tribes don't quite align with Jacob's children, do they? It's like, it's not like each of these is named after each of these kids, right? There's some sort of discrepancy here, if I recall. So there, there are two things you're perhaps referring to. One is there's no, there's a daughter, Dina, who doesn't get a tribe. So there's that, that piece. And then Joseph, who is one of the sons of Jacob, isn't a tribe, but his two sons, Ephraim and Menashe, are tribes. And the Levites, well, Levites are a tribe. Depends where you're counting and what. So there, there. Well, you've answered my question. Then what's with these anomalies? So mm -hmm. Joseph's children are two of the tribes, but didn't Jacob have twelve sons? <laughs> so didn't Jacob we have had twelve sons? But that would mean that there should be thirteen tribes if one of his sons is represented by two people. So who are we missing? The Levites are not allotted, uh, like they're not allotted land and. They also travel with the Mishkan. They have their own like unique thing. So, but uh, is this were the Levites one of his? He had no Levi child, did he? He didn't. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. It's one of his one of his sons. Well, that's embarrassing. You heard my mistake here first. Uh, I was like, no, that can't be right. Okay, so there were Levites. That was one of the children. But so we lose Joseph. We gain two because uh, I was like, there's some sort of math here I'm missing. Um, 
yeah, but no, it is it is confusing, and I suspect that there it is like some reversed, uh, again in my biblical criticism, interest on like probably there were like different tribes around, and like they were being retroactively written into these like characters. Of, oh, twelve tribes, and there might have been different traditions. Also, there's different, slightly different listings of the tribes, like in the Book of Judges, and like there's they don't always like necessarily align. So I think that it, it was an evolving tradition that like, yeah, okay, different traditions. And there's a desire to like keep different traditions. And I think that probably reflects some of these differences. Like, well, why is Joseph sometimes one of the 12? Why is Ephraim and Manasseh sometimes the 12? How did the Levites fit into all of it? Probably there's historical reasons for what these groups of people were maybe sometimes joined together and that there's not joined together. It definitely does feel anachronistic. Like I could totally see, I might've told the story where like everyone thinks they have like a Flemish great grandparent or something and they take a DNA test. It's like, Oh, that was just like a family story. So probably people were like, Oh yes. The tribe of Judah, like all the Judeans are like, you know what? I think he was one of those kids from that, like, book we all really like yeah 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 and then they like uh, let's you know and then it just gets retold and then eventually like they kind of merge the story so i could see that in this situation because i think people do that now you know mm-hmm. so we do did you think of a passage for us to read um to draw out like moses uh, uh well <laughs> i was distractedly scrolling through a little bit and uh this is the verse that I'm was just on. It's chapter four, so towards the end of the part of this week, chapter four, verse six. And it's okay. describing uh, what the keha, the so within the tribe of the Levites that we're just talking about, uh, different Levite tribes all have like special there's like three houses of Levites, like a family subdivision within the tribe, <clears throat> and they each have different roles. So the Kehites, here my translation says Kohath, Kohathites, B'nai Kehat, uh, like need to carry uh, a lot of the really special holy things, as opposed to like the tent itself. Um, and it says here, in verse six, well, I'll, maybe I'll read chapter four, verse six in Hebrew, and you can read it in English. That would be great. I I speak English. Venatnu alav ksui ol tachash u far so veged klil tchelet milamala vesamu. They shall place upon it a covering of tachash, skin, and on top of that, they will spread a cloth of pure blue wool. Oh, it's a good choice. Then they shall put its poles in place. Oh, I feel like there's two things related to the tradition from here, isn't there? Yeah, so or do you want to say what's coming up for you? What's coming up for me? First of all, Tachash is what? Yeah, so that's what I wanted to 
one of the things that I wanted to come up on because my contemporary Torah JPS 2006 translation that I'm looking at, Safaria, says dolphin, dolphin skin. Uh, but then it says, there's a note that says, or dugong. I don't know what that is. And then it says, meaning in Hebrew, tachash, uncertain. So it's like one of these things that we don't know what this creature is. When we're talking about the loss of kashru, we like don't know what all the animals are. There's like some traditions that are lost. And there's also like funny midrashim about like this tachash. It's like, oh, maybe a creature with one horn in the middle of its head that like was multiple colored. What's that called? There's, that is a thing. Not a unicorn. There's like a whale with a whale unicorn. What are they called? A narwhal. A narwhal. It's a narwhal. That's so funny. I've never thought of dolphin skin. Sounds like poor taste. And dugong, probably a lot of modern people think of the Pokemon. Um, So I think it's got its name from an animal. Yeah, and if it's a dolphin or something like a narwhal, like where did they get these skins from? So right, that feels like an interesting and this this animal, this covering, this material, the old tachash, the skin of the tachash, does come up multiple times. But uh, there's also something that I still like about the materiality of all this, right? Of like the specific skin that you need for like when you're, and also the detail that it's going into of like when you break down the camp. Right and like covering the art, the art of the covenant. Like this is what covers. Right when we're imagining like traveling in the desert. Like this is like the holy of holies. This is like the most special place. That like when it's set up, nobody's allowed to go into this area. But then they like break it down. So like, what's happening to this central spot of holiness when it's like carried around? Okay, so like, oh, there's a special skin of this mystical mystery tachash you put on top then like a pure blue or tchelet which is also the light blue that we put on our some people put on their tzitzit it's light blue that's supposed to remind you of the sky and the rabbis say that it's blue to also remind you like the divine throne which is also blue so there's also this like color information that's woven in Woven in, yeah. Woven in. And then there's <laughs> poles, which is this other thing that oh, you can't just like pick it up and do it. All these, uh, all these implements have like poles to carry them around, which is also feels like an interesting thing that they're not stationary. You have to take the holy things with you. I feel like there's spiritual that there's rifts to go off on that. Like you can't be, you can't have your most holy. Experiences like totally set. There needs to somehow be, they need to be able to move with you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an interesting point about the the movement of the tavern uh, and the Holy of Holies and the blue aspect too. Like, I think that would be a lot of people unconsciously probably associate blue with Judaism because of A, the flag of Israel is blue and B Hanukkah tchotchkes tend to be blue. Um, and this is not a coincidence. I believe it is in the Torah. Blue is associated with this kind of Hebraic religious practice. 
Yeah, so it comes up, but like it does seem like it's getting primary billing here, but also like when they, they talk about all the different vessels and everything, it's wrapped up and put in different places, right? And just scrolling down, that's uh, the copper altar is covered with a purple cloth, right? So there's also other colors and something else is covered with a red cloth, right? And often, or like, I think we saw maybe we were seeing the priestly vestments. There's often woven different colors together. So it's not only blue, right? It's not like, uh, I feel like I have this, look at yeah, Christmas is red and green and Hanukkah is blue and yellow or white. I don't know. But what you're saying. Yeah, I blue and white. But it doesn't, uh, actually it feels like when you're in the Torah itself, like the Mishkan is all the colors. It's like really vibrantly colored. And there's but, not like necessarily a clear theme color, but if it was, I see how it could be blue. Because you have a connection to blue, don't you? Like, uh... Yes. I like to wear blue on Shabbat. <laughs> because of its associative color. Because it's associative color. I actually am, I am rethinking it. Really, I was, I don't know if I told you this all, but I'll tell everybody who's listening to our podcast. I was dating somebody who told me that she wore blue on Shabbat because it's the color of Shrina. And then even though I'm no longer dating that person, I still have kept on this practice that I thought was such a beautiful thing to do. So this person you were dating was not your wife. No. Shonda. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, I had to date somebody, at least one other person before marrying Jenny. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Obviously we've all dated people in the spider world. I'm just being facetious. Um, So Shekhinah is like this, the indwelling aspect of uh, the divine that's often associated with like feminine aspects. And now I feel like, oh, maybe the Shekhinah is also other colors. And I keep hearing about like other color schemes. Right. And one, what is that? Maybe Shekhinah is brown, like the earth or black. Right? And finding like sacred darkness is also a, an idea that's interesting to me. So Anyway, this is just to say, I think, other things. In Reb Zalmachak Shalomi has a, you may have seen like rainbow talita, we're talking about that, but sometimes the talita is blue. Or you're saying that, uh, I made this association. You said the flag of Israel is blue and white, and that is based off of the talita. Hanukkah. No. <laughs> Back to Hanukkah. Um, but I did listen to this great, on the side point, uh, I listened to part of where I get some of my biblical criticism is this great podcast uh, called a podcast of biblical proportions that kind of goes through history from a biblical lens. And they did a, a great series on Judah Maccabee and the story of Hanukkah, which I will that never, I will see it in a different light from now on. Uh, so check that out if you're interested in more about Hanukkah, but Reb Zalman, to get back to the story within a story, many people have these rainbow Talitot in synagogues, which somebody may have seen. If not, you can search for, uh, it's called B'nai Or Talit. This design is based on the seven spherots, uh, the seven lower emanations. Okay, I'm getting off into Kabbalah again. Seven lower aspects of the 10 divine spheres of energy. Also related to the seven weeks that we're counting now in Sfirat Omer. And the seventh one, which is related with Shrina, 
uh, Rip Zellman originally wanted to be the color of wine, or for it to be purple. Also connected to Shabbat, instead of the color of Shekhinah or Malchut, is like a wine dark purple. Mm, so that's, uh, that's just to say there's lots of different colors. And I'm like, oh, should I wear purple on Shabbat? Should I wear black on Shabbat? Um, I keep, I'm still currently wearing blue, but. It's nice to have a thing. Don't don't lose the blue. Like it's uh, it's it's it's, it's your thing. Yeah, essentially to the Shekhinah's colors. Don't you have like brown eyes? <laughs> Our listeners never have to know. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Like uh, we're you and I both squint a lot, so I don't know what color your eyes are. It's true. My eyes are like greeny. They're green. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm mistaken. Um, you have green eyes. I have blue eyes. I will memorize this. Now you know. Because um, the, the other item about this line, too, maybe then I'm misreading it, because talk about the, the talit or talis in Ashkenazi pronunciation, um, and then saying poles, I think of a chuppah as well. Often a chuppah is attached by a talis with poles. So I also thought this could have been Anachronistic, but still connected. Yeah. Yes, a marriage canopy. Um, although no, on Unorthodox this week, they were like, non-Jews stole the chuppah. I was like, I think non-Jews have had canopies also for thousands of years. I feel like they have to give that one up. Um, yeah, soul rights to canopies. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think people have often been married under a canopy of sorts. Um, you could say a steeple is a type of canopy. Um, so to, the, to tell the most popular Jewish podcast in the world that uh, <laughs> they're overthinking it. We need to have a, a beef with some podcasts. So we'll, yeah. we'll take on an orthodox. But uh, I think this is kind of a good start to Bami Bar, where we talked about the different tribes and how they were named, that kind of different multitude. And then we went into the color portion of uh, things related to the Holy of Holies and Tabernacle and cloth, and then one of the different colors. A lot of conversations about multitudes and differences mm. uh, and different individuations. So I think that's kind of a nice place to wrap up our uh, our session today. Um, okay. So I think we'll take it from there. And as always, I'm Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Grotenberg. Until next time. <laughs>